welcome to Going Off Track. Hi. I'm Jonah. I'm Brad. And we are taping an intro right now. We are taping it here at Converse Rubber Tracks studio where we always are. We're both wearing kind of similar Converse today. Let's jazz all the people that like, you know, help us out a little bit. Converse, awesome. Great. Stumptown. Stumptown Coffee, drinking it right now. I'm pretty well lubed up. Yeah, you guys are the best. None of these people are really our uh, sponsors. But they I mean, could be. Rubber Tracks definitely sponsors us by letting us do this. That is very true. <sighs> Can you imagine? I feel like it would be much harder to get people to come to my weird apartment. <laughs> like, I feel they'd be like, eh. Or to go to them. Like, yeah. I know a lot of podcasters do that, but it's like, it's kind of weird. It just seems like it's there's a lot of too shit. many variables. You don't know if it's going to be like loud. Exactly. Like, yeah. This is the best. Yeah. This is this is the ideal situation. Totally. Um, Brad, you just were out of town? Uh, I went upstate. How's that? Relaxing? With kids? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it was. Yeah, it was good. It was all right. Took them to see their grandmother. Up nice. in the mountains. Played in the snow. Made a giant um, snow woman with straw hair. She looked pretty badass, actually. Nice. You want any pics? Huh? You gotta Instagram that man. <laughs> uh, Sounds very edgy. Did not IG that. Gotcha. Pick. Um me and Brad also recently recorded a song you can listen to now. Oh yeah. Um for the comp called Not Safe to Drink. It's a benefit for Flint's uh water crisis and uh with Jamie Kilstein. Yeah, it's me, Jamie Kilstein, and this guy Mike Fadden, who's an awesome drummer. Jamie it, really represented with those lyrics dude. yes you it, definitely should check this song out it's called <laughs> you are how a revolution starts i believe and yeah you can check it out and then not safe to drink comp there's it's five dollars and there's almost 80 bands on it yeah so and it helps a good cause there's got to be something in there that you like yeah there's been a couple comments that were like i don't even care about these bands but i bought the comp it's cool yeah. like so yeah even like if you don't like the bands, who cares? Support. I, that kind of stuff also, though, is really weird to me. Like, sometimes, like, it, like if someone dies, like, the comment will be like, didn't really care about this guy's music, but this is sad. And it's like, <laughs> dude, you can leave that out. Like, no one gives a shit. Like, you don't need, like, that disclaimer. You know what I mean? Just think it. Because everybody in the world cares. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, fucking, like, cool guy 42, like, I'm sure. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's enough ranting. <laughs> nice Descendant shirt, by the way. Thank you so much. You're I got this. Definitely keeping it real there. I got this at a show. I saw them play their first show back in New York. This was at Roseland, and it was 2011. Wow, nice. I was there with, actually with Stephen and Trisha. Oh, I remember that tour. Yes. I, I was going to go to opened. Those, Yeah, I was going to go because, because H2O was on it, and I yeah. didn't go. Fuck. It was a great show. Yeah, of course it was. And then I saw them play at St. Vitus a couple of years later, which was That's a greater epic. show. Yeah. <laughs> also ruined my hearing for life, so <laughs> a trade-off. Anyways, today in the podcast, very exciting guest, we have uh, Robert Schwartzman. He is the singer and kind of the songwriter. He basically is Rooney, who were pretty popular band yeah. for a while, and then... Haven't put out a record in like six years, but he's been doing other electronic records. He opened a studio. He has an app he invented. He's all this other stuff going on. A lot of stuff to go off track on. Yes. I'm yes. sorry I missed this one. It seems right up my alley. Yeah. I'm kind of bummed you missed it too. 
but um but i'll listen to it now while we're waiting to do uh our outro exactly (laughs) and um he has finally there is a new renew record called washed away that's coming out may 6th and you can check out the single my heart beats for you now and he will be playing the independent spirit awards on saturday march 9th so you can check him out there anyways yeah we talked about a lot of cool stuff robert's a super nice dude uh, we start this podcast out by me talking about how when I went to see him play the other night, I introduced this girl to him and used the total wrong name for her, and she got super mad at me. <laughs> and it was a very it's a movie. Yep, it's a very awkward situation, both for mostly for Robert to be in, and he handled it very well. And uh, you can hear us talk all about it, and then we can talk about much more interesting things. All right, this is Robert Fortson. Check. One, two. One, two. Check. Check. Hi, how are you? Do you want to do my radio voice for this one? What's that? Should I do my radio voice? Yeah, definitely. Hi, how are you? Robert tracks right now. Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, you know, we're in Brooklyn right now. Radio voices are so funny to me. Yeah, same with newscaster voices. They're so, so unnatural. They're no one so talks unnatural. like that. And there's life. always that like laughing person in the background. It's like, oh my gosh. Yes. It's like, what are these people doing? It's five in the morning. That's why they're so crazy because they're up at five a.m. Right. Well, it, don't you? That's kind of how politicians are too. I, like, I feel totally. Like... I was just thinking about this morning about how people, like, when you talk to people. I'm not sure if you've talked to certain artists and felt like they're being genuine and open with you or if they're like hiding something and they're like, well, like dancing around the subject. Right. But I imagine politicians have to become masters of dancing around the truth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like you put, you have to have a wall up between you because you have secrets and that probably are beneficial to keep from people because it's better. Right. For maybe not knowing certain things is better for like mass hysteria. Or they are hiding something. Obviously, they did something they're not proud of, or they had to do something dark and dirty to like get to where they are. But I don't know. It's so weird. It is really weird. I wonder how that started too. I guess it's like a. I know. People, it's like more high energy or something. I, yeah, maybe the media. Maybe with like, because if you think about politicians running prior to media, like not being so exposed in such a big way, like tele televised. Like you couldn't, you just literally went physically to a place and spoke to a room without like an amplifi- amplifier. Right. Like, hey, like with like a little, but like you can't, like maybe with having people so close to you and now even more than ever, like now you're so, your life is completely surrounded at all times. You have to become more and more careful probably with how you like run your campaigns. Yeah, I'm sure. So maybe they just have now become masked, like more and more built up layers and layers of protection because they're so they're more exposed to people more than they've ever been. Yeah, maybe that's just a theory. No, I think it's possible. Yeah, um, you taught me a very important lesson the other night. Did I? Yes. Girls do not like it when you introduce them by the wrong name. Oh yes, <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> I felt I didn't even that happens. She she was upset with you. Yeah, she was pretty mad. But I have to say, you did a pretty good job of like diffusing it and making uh, it. A, thanks. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I try. Yeah, I mean, I. She seemed really nice. She was really. Yeah. She. Yeah, I didn't. It was like I stayed out of that one. Yeah. No, that's a good move. Have you yeah. ever done that in your life? Yes. Yeah. I. Well, I always forget names, 
And I don't like I don't like I I'll remember people. I'll remember them, but I don't remember their name. And it always happens at the wrong time when I'm usually having to introduce somebody. Right. So I'll usually just avoid, like walk away, like try to like dance around somebody who right. I really want to say hello to. But or I'll um my like if I'm with my girlfriend and we're at a party and like that's usually where it happens, right? When right. You're with, you know, someone you're with. Like that's what happened to you that night. You were with your friend. Yes. And I was the person meeting this person and the name was there was an incorrect name but that was that was a different way i've never i've never called someone the wrong name that i'm with yeah that's worse that's a different thing. although i could have i feel like i could have just sat out and not said it and you guys would have introduced uh, yeah, each yeah. other with your actual names that crossed my mind too. yeah after it happened i was like i would have just said hey what's up yeah that's what i should have done i was confident yeah i was 100 percent wrong but confident totally but there is a strategy to like when you're meeting somebody that you can't remember their name and you're with someone you know. And you're like, this is a person I know. Yeah, but like yeah. I can't make this introduction. So I usually just like act really like pre like I like busy talking to this person <laughs> and let them like step in and do Oh, the that's a good technique. Hey man, good to see you. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Did you- oh, cool, cool. You guys just met. <laughs> yeah, that's a good technique. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm gonna start using that. <laughs> Um, or, and it's even more awkward when people are like, okay, look, I, I'll just introduce myself. Cause usually someone's like, I'll just stick my hand out. Like, I'm sure that's usually what people work out, but then it's more, it's kind of awkward. Cause you're like, Hey, good to see you. And then you're like, wait for them. Like, Hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. And then it looks so obvious that that was the strategy. Right. You know what I mean? Well, as someone who's not good at remembering names, I'm not either. This is the thing that bugs me the most is when yeah. you meet someone, they're like, we've met like seven times. Yeah, yeah. And you're yeah, like, all right. Like, yeah. It's like, I feel like if I meet someone and met them before, I'm not like, oh, I can't believe this person didn't remember me. It's like, yeah. Who cares? Yeah, totally. Get that a lot. This is, it's good. It's just like a whole, I mean, I feel like the etiquette of greetings is an important part of it's important yeah. because people, because like I know like people who feel frustrated when they're introduced to the, the same people so many times, they're not like, they have to reintroduce themselves so many times. Right. It's frustrating, right? Yes. Because you want, so like, it's important to remember someone's name is such a great thing. Politicians probably remember so many people's names or someone I, I heard that about one politician. It was like Joe Biden or something. It was like, yeah. she remembers everybody. How's your sister? Oh, I saw her. Her hair looked great last night. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, yeah. But I think that's like your intent is important too. Because I feel like yeah. like some people just genuinely just have bad memories, or smoked a lot of weed or something. Like me and I think some people are like, oh, I'm going to act like I don't know you because I think I'm like yeah. an ego thing. Right. Yeah. I definitely love to... I definitely want to say hello and catch up with people and I don't want to avoid anybody. So I want I want to learn every name. Yeah. But I'll have to get better at that. I'll Lumin- do some memory training. They have those yeah. online memory courses. My parents do Luminosity. Yes. Yeah, they're way into it. I was like, they? do you want to do this? I'm like, no. I Is it better should've. for them? They said that it like, keeps their brain sharp or something. Whoa. So. so it works. Yeah, I guess so. Sponsored by Luminosity. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to commercial. Uh, Luminosity. <laughs> um, I, I might be confusing with someone, but I feel like yeah. I interviewed you guys a really long time ago. Yeah. And you told me a story... Which about like a ghost it? in a hotel or something. Maybe. Am I totally... Does this no. sound familiar at all? Or you were recording somewhere and it was like haunted or something? It, it sounds like a great story. I, f- <laughs> I should just be like, yes. Oh, the ghost in the hotel. Yes. 
I don't know. I mean, I don't. I honestly. Well, let me think about it for a second. I or, never recorded in a hotel. Okay. But I feel like I have felt the ghosts. <laughs> presence dude there you go of the ghosts being like the great wingman for me again so it's possible yeah yeah it's possible okay yeah but i'm definitely sensitive to the feeling of i i don't like the feeling of haunted places you think it's that is an actual thing yeah yeah i fully yeah i mean i don't i think that i've heard a lot of stories of ghosts that people will say they'll fully work awake and saw something like more like saw the same thing different in this one room and like that i really that's scary because like that i i'm not i don't think they're all like just like oh they were just fantasizing the whole thing like i really believe it was it can happen because what i do believe it i believe in like the energetic like energies that like swirl around this planet the universe like i believe in energetic things so like i believe in like you know feeling the vibrations of things people and those kinds of things right connect being connected through familiarity of like energetic maybe like frequencies that exist but i think that like now i sound like a fucking crazy person (laughs) (laughs) you're like okay let's go back to luminosity (laughs) um but no i think that like it's possible when people like pass away Cause like, I think there's, you know, there's an energetic thing that happens when people pass away and, you know, sort of our, whatever you want to call it, spirit or soul or anything like this sort of moves on from a physical self to something higher and, you know, and greater and different, but there can be things left behind like a res, you know, like the sound of something, you know, when sound bounce, sound bounces around rooms, right? We're sitting in a room that's been balanced with like this like these materials that absorb sound but like you can actually trace like the way frequencies bounce around rooms but it's like maybe there are things that are still here that are like decay that have been left behind in some way you know so that's what i believe maybe that that could be that but there's also like dark energy and like really dark stuff out there so like maybe that's that could be like scary when people like heard something like banging in the door right you know what i mean like that stuff is so crazy to me So do you think when you die, your energy goes somewhere else? I think, well, I just, I, yeah, I definitely believe in like afterlife and like reincarnate. I do believe in those things. I think it's to me, I don't know. It just seems to make sense that there's more to life than just this one part of it. You know what I mean? Like, I think there are lessons to be learned and things that occur while we're on this, like in this part of our journey. But I think there's a lot more out there. I think people are pretty incredible and like energy is pretty magical and there's got to be like something more to all this. It's too incredible to just be, you're dead, you're dead. (laughs) I mean, why? I mean, look, let me just say this, whether or not you, I mean, I can't prove to you anything and I don't know. We just have a feeling of something, but like whether or not it's true, isn't it a nice idea to like think like that? Like why, why not allow the, the possibility of something, right? I think about this and I'm going to segue into something controversial, but like global warming, right? Right. So like I read articles, like I see like random articles about people like, ha ha ha, look at these scientists now say that it, that the, the data is not real. And like, see, like there are all these naysayers about like global warming, all this stuff. 
who get wrapped up in the in politicians spinning of stories for like you know like you know like a private like there are there are people out there that want policies to remain in place so that their companies can benefit from them absolutely like so there's manipulation of like policy and so like there are politicians out there that have like a duty to like do good for this country who are totally like in the you know their hands are in the pockets of like greater money right that's like really real and it's so sad that people are so manipulated like mass amounts of people are like yeah like fighting these causes that work so against them it's so bizarre but that's just not knowing enough is what's happening and like and certain other things that are probably too controversial to talk about but i feel like with global warming my feeling is look okay like maybe you're gonna be like oh i don't believe the data and like you're like well the data says this but like, why not just allow for the possibility? Why not just say it's possible? Like, just open up the possibility that it could be, right? Like, when you lock your doors at night, you could be like, Some, no one's breaking in at night. But you lock it anyway, right? Because there's a possibility of something could happen, right? We, 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 we are safe. We, we are all about safety just because of the possibility of bad things occurring. If it is right, what people are saying, like, why not allow a little bit of room for, like, the possibility and be a little bit protective and preventative? That just seems so, like, logical to me to just allow some possibility as opposed to just be, like, refute everything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I understand. It's just maddening. Like, and so I say that with anything. If you believe in an afterlife or, hey, you believe this religion, like, very, very hardcore about this. Sure. Like, great. Like, whatever, you know... Whatever you believe in is yours to believe in, and no one can take that away from you. But allow there to be room for something else to be real as well, as opposed to like slashing everybody's other ideas. You know right. I mean? Anyway, I get. I feel like that's a better. I feel like my usual default thing is just like more like nihilistic, and I'm like, well, maybe it's true, but the world's going to end anyways. I guess it does, <laughs> yeah. ultimately doesn't even matter. It is going to end eventually. <laughs> It's all going to end eventually. That's why I think it's so funny. Like, we're like, we think every everything is like so important. Like, I know that people are like, I got it. I want to hit. Or like, I got like that, you know, win an award. Or all these things that are really like wonderful things right now in today's society. But it's ultimately all going to get like erased at some point. Right? Totally. Like, yeah, it's so 100%. funny to me how like we care so much about it. But it's not, it can't. Like, all the Beatles albums will get like annihilated at some point. Like, exactly. The computers will be erased. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like it never happened. Exactly. But that's not a reason to like not want to do good things, but just it's funny how we hold certain things in like such like they're so important, but ultimately is it really that important? I had the same conversation when Jenny was on and I was like, What's the point of everything? And she she was like, To get laid, Jonah. And right. I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> Jenny Lewis, so smart. <laughs> it's all about sex. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Rooney has a new record coming yeah. out. This I'll is like, all about. <laughs> um, and yeah. I was reading your bio on the way here, and it yeah. like took like my entire train ride to get Did through it? it. It's so long. I know. I didn't. Not do in a that. bad way. Just you've done a lot of stuff. Thanks. That's just scraping the surface, by the way. <laughs> There's a 400 page page book coming out. Um. So, yeah. So it's been six years, but you've done a lot of stuff. It seems in like between. in between. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think. Well, Rooney, like Rooney's a, is a specific project. And I think that like, you know, like call it a band, call it an artist, call it a project, whatever. It's to me, it's just an out, it's a, it's an outlet. It's a it's a channel for that. I've been sort of 
walking down since I was like I started I started making music in the junior year of high school in Los Angeles where I grew up and I started making music because I really like to record music so I started writing music by recording music basically and my brother had a band called Phantom Planet and Jenny Lewis's band Rilo Kylie Phantom Planet and Maroon 5 previously known as Cars Flowers the Siren 6 Rooney then started this band the like started like there was all these LA bands that would play together a lot and there was like at that time I feel like a scene if you call like a scene of like LA bands who like cuz it was like cool, it was fun like when you hang out with bands after a show and like go to someone's house where you have like a house party or like I just remember going to a lot of Phantom Planet shows as the younger brother of someone in a band and like and like hanging out with all their f- friends and like getting to be like just it was fun like I didn't really hang out with like a lot of my high school friends at you know I I ha- I had my my friends at school but I liked to go with my brother and hang out with their friends and like it felt fun to go to the show like it was cool to hang out like the Roxy or the Whiskey Go Go like on a fucking Thursday night after my brother's show you know what I mean totally it felt cool to do that and and then naturally like you know like people are around other people so you it rubs off on you so like I wanted to like learn guitar so like the dudes in Phantom Planet were like show me some like yeah like show me how you play like Metallica or like show me that Nirvana riff or something like all this open chord simple things right. that sound like you know how to play and then um so then i started like taking guitar lessons and all that and piano lessons just to learn at least like the fundamentals of how these instruments work and then i just would start to play along with albums and i was really into like the first fountains of wayne record at that time i was really into the cardigans and early weezer and a lot of the 90s like kind of like 90s rock pop bands super grass super drag and then all the bands that I would go see, like all my brother's friends' bands. And then I started writing songs. Jason gave me a little Tascam cassette recorder with four tracks where you could keep mixing down and layering more tracks. And then I just started writing songs and then recording them. And then I would like get off on the fact that I could like push play and listen back to my song. It was really cool. Um, so like eventually it was like, okay, like I have these songs. Now I want to go play a show. And then it was like, Jason's like, hey, you can open for us at the Troubadour on our fan club only night. Because <laughs> it was like their show, right? Because like they, it was like they took over the Troubadour that night. So they could give any band a shot. <laughs> hey, you guys, you guys could play. So it was like, now we didn't name, there's got to be like a name. So it was like Ed Rooney, because I just watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off the night before. <laughs> and it was like called Ed Rooney for a while and then it just became Rooney, but... It was just an outlet because I was writing songs and I wanted to play them. I was super shy. I didn't know if I could ever sing live. It was like so... It seemed like the last thing I ever wanted to do. But I just... Once I started doing it, I was like, oh, okay, cool. This feels like really good. So I'll just like keep doing this. And then through my high school became mostly writing songs and playing shows. And then I could go play with all these bands because we knew them all. So like that's a big deal, right? You have like a place to play now. And you do, you know, we we did do the pay for play stuff at the whisk. Like certain clubs would give you like a stack of a hundred tickets, and you'd sell them at school. But I got really at, like really aggressive with my promotion of Rooney, so I was like really 
we created like a message boards on like the website because it was pre-social media and like as we played a show like some people would show up on the message boards you know what i mean and then like so we got to sell something so we made some like demos made some cds t-shirts so anyway so that's how it started but it was like through through writing songs and recording them came the the feeling of i want to go play these now because i feel like it's part of like the thing is now you play them for people and you really learn a lot about what yourself and how you write songs when you play them for people because you're fully exposed and you like kind of feel like what's working or not working and so it's all like to me it all goes together and it all has to happen together like i don't feel like i'm doing what i need to do if i'm not playing a show and um so like over this hiatus, I like got to make a solo electronic e and more inspired kind of like eighty like I like a lot of eighties dance pop stuff. And so I didn't know if it was gonna be called Solo Bob, this like character, and then or just like so my name. But I made this like I just put out like a thing under my name called Double Capricorn. I did very little I did a little bit of promo and some touring and then I made this other little project called like Star System, which was like this other kind of like 80s inspired, like a lot of rhythmic loops and like big washed out pads and like echoey vo- vocals, probably more like today, like more like a lot of stuff you might hear more today. And then I started writing more guitar heavy music and just recording it. And then it was like, it felt like it was like time to now get back in the Rooney saddle again. And I really like, I love to play under Rooney. Like it's a project, it's, it's fun to play under like a project name. And I've spent so many years like working on this project, promoting it. It was like really the first thing I ever did. So I just felt like I should just really embrace it and keep making records. But, you know, in the middle of all those hiatus, I want to say hiatal years. Is that a word? I don't know. I know there's a hiatal hernia, which is like acid reflux. <laughs> it's, it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like it could be. <laughs> During my hiatal years, <laughs> I um I wanted to take time away from Rooney because I was grinding it out for a long time. I was really burnt out. I was tired. We were on Interscope, Geffen Records. It was up. There was ups and downs in that deal. It was really hard to like be creative and just like be make music the way I wanted to make it. I really believe there's like an innocence to just writing and being not worrying about anything and just making music that gets lost when you start to get contaminated with like the fears of an industry and like, I didn't want, I wanted to just honestly shed all the, those years of just like heart, like not doing it in the way I wanted to do it and get, and just start all over again, kind of. And I got to experiment with some solo music. That was a different sounding kind of music. I got to score a movie, which was really cool. I got to work on Palo Alto, my cousin's movie, um, which was really fun. I got to write music for it. And then I got to do some like scoring kind of work as well, like behind the scenes stuff. Most people don't hear about like what someone's writing for when it's a TV show. And then all along I was kind of right. I was writing a screenplay with a friend of mine because I wanted to go direct a movie was like another goal. So to me, it sort of is that it's similar to writing or making a record because you're, you're writing something and you want to go make it. So like going in the studio you know, like today we have like other gear that's just like as friendly as recording gear is today, but for filmmakers. So I felt like maybe there was a world where I could write a movie and make it really low budget and just 
go make it without like too much red tape and it was a great learning experience but we ran, we ended up shooting the movie last february and it's it's coming out what's well, we're going uh, well i'll tell you later where it's going to be i can't say yet because they don't want me to say it but it'll be uh soon it'll be there, there's a premiere coming up soon so okay, i'll cool. let you know about it yeah it's called be- dreamland and i've been working a long time and working many years on it and i've been cutting this movie all last year while finishing this rooney record and um anyway so it's like two these two projects have been kind of going at the same time and now they're finally coming out how does that feel it feels really good it's like i feel like i've mastered this thing of like making like working on things but never putting them out (laughs) which is like a terrible (laughs) terrible thing to get into i don't recommend it to anybody (laughs) but like i get like freaked out finishing things because i feel like then it's scary that it's done and like I just like to keep working on it. Like I like to keep remixing or remastering my record, like a lot. And I do that. Like with this movie, we've been cutting a lot. Like every time we get to a place, we're like, "Cool, I think, I think we're cool." Like we go back and recut something. So, and that's just more of the same. Which is, if there's time, this is really the last shot we have to like do our things because it's going to be out, and it'll be, we just can't touch it anymore. And like, so I just want to grind it out until I feel like it's where it needs to be. But um, anyway, so yeah, like I want to be able to work on projects and get them out in a timely manner. And it feels really good to just kind of like, you know, like when you push, it's like throwing, you know, like a paper airplane in the air, like pushing like a boat out into like the water. Like when it gets too far away from you, it's just there. Like you just got to watch it go. And there's something kind of nice about that. You know, you just got to hope you did everything you could do up until that point so that you feel excited about what it's going to be. But I'm really, really excited about it. And I'm excited to keep working on new stuff, too. And then you were doing some acting stuff as well in between? A little bit. I mean, a little bit. Or was that more earlier on for you? It was earlier on. Okay. Like, I, with with any acting stuff I've ever been a part of, it's really been very spontaneous how I ended up doing it. Like, it was very... Like, so in, when I was 14 years old, my cousin Sophia Coppola made a movie called The Virgin Suicides, which was her like debut feature film. And she adapted a script, I mean the uh, book, um, and into the screenplay. And there was a character called Paul Baldino that she wrote into the screenplay. And she told me that she thought I could be a good Paul Baldino. I didn't, I wasn't acting. I wasn't like going out for auditions. I wasn't, that was not what I was trying to do. And she said, will you just come in and read for this project? Cause I had to read to make sure I could do it. And then, uh, so anyway, I, I did what I could do. Like I rehearsed it the way I thought I could rehearse it and did it and ended up doing it. And it was really cool. And from that, Gary Marshall, this director did pretty woman many years later like four years later so i was you know not acting said i saw you in virtue i really liked you Will you come read for me i'm making a movie called the princess diaries and i was like sure he didn't call me but he told like someone i was working with so i got like through the grapevine uh, an audition to go in and i read for him and I kept going back in and like, it was a good sign. Hey, they want you to come back. And I went again, like, why don't you come back again? And then they want you to read with this actress they just cast named Anne Hathaway. So they did like a, they shot the, they shot the last audition, like a test. So we acted out the scene and I 
you know, did whatever little things I could do to add something to the character. And it's fun. Like I, you know, like I love movies. I grew up loving movies. I grew up around filmmakers and, and being on a set of a movie and watching how people make movies and being around musicians and just observing. And, um, so I felt like excited to bring, you know, like, I think it's fun when you could bring your own thing to something. And that's why I think making a movie is actually exciting because you get to shape it just like, again, like an album. But so I got to bring something to this character. He, Gary hired me to be this act, to be the guy in the movie named Michael. And the movie, I was like, you know, 18 when it came out. I was doing Rooney at the time. Rooney's like, there's like a Rooney song, Blue Side, in the movie. He liked that I had a band. And he's like, hey, you could play a song in the movie. And, um, Anyway, so the movie became like a big movie and like there are like fans out there that really love the movie and still to this day are always like tweeting at me or something from the movie. So it's just around like it's just keeps going. But like I haven't, you know, I just jumped fully into Rooney at that time because I had been doing it up until that movie. I like literally left high school and took time away from Rooney to do that movie for a month or whatever it took to shoot it. And it's good. I mean, like, look, I think to me, it's all like, it's all good. I think it's like, it's all, it's great when you can reach people. Like, I think it means a lot to just have anyone be supportive of you. Like, that's not something to take for granted. And like, whether or not, you know, people keep supporting this stuff, they want me to keep acting. And I think I will. Like, I like to do, I like to act to me. If it's creative and I can bring something that's my own to it, like, why not? You know? But I would love to like eventually, I'd love to direct something that I can like play a part in. That would be really cool. Kind of bring it all together. But the idea of like reading, like going out and auditioning for somebody is like, I, I really don't like that. Like yeah. I feel really uncomfortable with that. I wish I could just be the guy that's like, great, send me the sides. Bam, like nailed it, right? <laughs> like I just can't do that. I don't know why I feel good. Like I have this terrible feeling in my gut whenever I read, see something. I'm like, oh God, I'm gonna fuck it up. <laughs> Well, do you ever, do you get self-conscious because like my sister's a comedian, she's mm-hmm. on SNL mm-hmm. and obviously your brother's an actor. I mean, I've done stand up a couple of times and I'm like, oh, does it seem like I'm just like trying, like trying to do this thing that my sibling's <laughs> so good at right. and they're going <laughs> to compare me and it's like, I can't, yeah, totally. or is it more inspiring for you? I don't, I, I really don't feel because Jason's an actor, like I don't feel any pressure from that. I, I, cause I don't. I don't think of myself as that. So I don't feel this, I don't feel comparison or pressure in any way. And if I were, and I've in like in that hiatus time, I got to be, my cousin Gia made a short film that I got to act in. And then my friend Lee's his director who did a, did a film. It was really cool. People should, I'll say, just check it out. It's vice and Intel and W hotels had a baby together. And it's, it was this series of short films called Four Stories and that we shot it in Qatar, in Doha. And we went there for a few days and shot this cool, like this short film. And it was fun. Like, I love it. Like, I, I but on my mind, like, I'm just in, I'm just enjoying it. And I just want to do a good job for the people making it. And, but yeah, I'm not feeling any sort of pressures of any other, like that other kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm sure it's also all like just invented anyway. It's like no one probably even thinks yeah, it. Yeah, no one thinks it. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I mean, look, everyone's like, you know, like, like I think when Jason did Coconut Records, it was cool. I was really excited for him because he had taken, he was in Phantom Planet, quit the band, 
became a full-time actor and like committed to it and then just decided to make a record like not only just like a record like an awesome record with really good songs because he's such a great songwriter so but it was cool like you know like i was struggling to make the second rooney record at that time i was like writing so many songs because you know i was on a major label and they needed a hit gotta have the hit so i wrote like three albums and two of them were shelved and they were all different songs and they were mixed and mastered with artwork and a release date like and then they were canned so literally over four years i wrote three albums and then Jason's like, yeah, I went to Mikey Isinger's house and made this album. Like, check it out. <laughs> and it's like all over these commercials. And it's like, everyone's like, Coconut Records. <laughs> and I'm like, like, oh, I got to write a hit. So that it's like, it's hard. Like that stuff, that's when it's like hard. Because then I was like, shit, like I need to be independent. You know what I mean? Like, right. But like, I think it was more just the, that, that was more like, I was really excited. And I got to like, it's fun. Like Jason doesn't like to sing live or anything. So we got to. Like, the only Coconut Records show was him playing with Rooney at the Roxy, and we played, like, three Coconut Records songs, and I sang them with him. So that was fun, like... So, but I don't know, like, I I think that with siblings and family, there's definitely pressure. I think there's just pressure, even if we were all, like, from a family of plumbers or, like, great roofers, like, (laughs) and you opened up your own roofing company, like, you might feel pressure to, like, have to, like, make it really good. So, but yeah, I mean, but I think that's only natural and it maybe it motivates you or whatever it takes to make you work harder. Just like go there in your mind and just push, you know, and try harder. I think it's just people look for things to help them. Like even like I'm sure performers, you know, have their own internal world of how they get excited for a show. Like they maybe don't expose to people, but everyone's going through something before a performance, right? Yeah. Maybe they're good at hiding it. But it's just your way to psych yourself up so you can get ready and be creative. Nervous energy, it's all great. You harness all that. And I think that like people do that when they're creative or performing stand-up, anything you're doing. So I think it's act- whatever it takes to go there in your mind and be better. You know? Yeah, totally. So, And so this record is um, sort of more of like a... From being like in the major label world. Yeah. Was this kind of wanting to go more DIY or indie route? Like a yeah. conscious thing? Because I'd imagine like... In the first record, you had a lot of hits, but probably weren't trying. And then I can't imagine what those meetings are like, where you're like, here's all these songs, and they're like, eh. yeah. And it's, it also seems yeah. like, how do you know, sort know. of, unless you... Well, I what think was it that, like navigating that, I guess? Well, I think that... My feeling is that when Rooney was signed to Geffen in like, oh, two, oh, three. It's so weird to say that. Gosh. When we were signed to Interscope in 02, <laughs> that was a different time, man. Like, literally, Napster had just turned everything upside down, you know? And, like, all the, ex- like, I was close with the label executives at that time because they were like, they wanted to bro out with the band, right? They were like, I love this band. You know what I mean? Like, you remind me of the bands I loved in the 70s or something. <laughs> so they all were like, bro out with you. And, so um they would vent to me about like the industry like god it's tough the downloading like you're one of those downloading bands so it's gonna be tough for you guys (laughs) so like and you know like there was a lot of pressure on the band because there was high expectations so like even though the first record was like a gold record it was like not enough really it wasn't enough and i felt like we failed we i thought we failed and like i had to do better so i really 
wanted we got back in the studio right away and made a record like literally three months after the last tour and the record was can't was scrapped and like all this time went by and by the way i'm happy it was scrapped because and here's where it sort of answers your question is that you are signed by your first batch of material like if you're a label guy and you get this demo by this band if you want to sign that band chances are there's like one song on it that's promising where you're like, you got to check out this band, man. Check out track two. It's awesome. It's going to be a hit. Like, you're going, you already know this band has something that you want. So you, you're giving them the green light. The second record can be a challenge, right? Because like now you got to like figure out what that next song is going to be because you already had signed them because of this stuff. So plus the industry was turned upside down right at that time so like there's all this pressure on them as a company and uh, me as an artist because it's a trickle down right you feel it at the bottom so people's fears get pushed onto their artists right like people are i took a music business class at ucla right before i got signed so i could try to learn something about what i was about to do and like the first thing the teacher was like what's the first thing on every executive's mind and he's like, keep your job. And it's like true. Like I never <laughs> forgot that because everyone's trying to keep their job. Right? So like no one wants to be wrong. No one wants to screw up. And like, so, you know, like everyone, you start to feel like when your guy who signs you might get fired. If the Rooney record doesn't deliver, he's going to look like an idiot. So like now you get all of his fears and pressure. Right. Like, onto you. And it's like, it's so that's what sucks. But like, then you're just trying to write songs. And I'm, I really just want to write good songs. Like, I want to make a good record. I want to make a record that I'm proud of. Like, this is still my goal. Like, I want to make a record that's diverse, has something for everybody. Like, something, you know, if you don't like this, you might like this. You know, like, I want people to dig the record. And I've always listened to greatest hits records kind of randomly. Like, I just bought greatest hits albums by artists growing up because I just like to hear all the catchy songs. And like, so I just, I want to make catchy songs. Like I just like songs with choruses or hooks or like a intro that kind of grabs you right away. And anyway, so I just, I want to write songs that are appealing to people just like, cause they makes me happy when people get excited about stuff. So like, you know, I thought the record, you know, was something worthy of like coming on, on radio, but it just, the label didn't feel like it was at that time. And then so began the journey of like chasing the hit and like the producer's <laughs> like look man this is what they want they want a silver bullet like that's what they, you know the, the producer look they want a silver bullet man and then i was like in my mind like okay silver bullet i got rid of silver bullet <laughs> it's like so it fucks with your head so much because you're like okay i gotta go is this it oh now i'm gonna write about what am i feeling right now <laughs> i'm feeling frustrated about the industry you don't know me you don't know me who i am there's more in me or whatever the hell right <laughs> So like all those sort of songs started happening and they all have this like bitter sound like you're bitter. The band who did that well was Queen with Death on Two Legs. It's like a song about how they're mad at their manager or something and it's so okay. good but it's so it's a great song. It's yeah. so smart. Anyway, but I think that like I just I st what happened was long story short I started doing all these co-writing sessions that I just was like not bringing my best self to I was like angry in them and like these other writers were probably like I don't want to write with these, this, this artist because like he doesn't want to try hard with me so all these like songs came they, they seemed watered down and not like a like the songs I wanted to make 
and then anyway i just started writing a new record and i wrote i was like in my bedroom looping beats and writing over them and recording and then i wrote i wrote when did your heart go missing which became like the second the single off the second rooney record which literally like finally opened up the gates like literally it was like the gates were shut locked up like someone welded them shut like an old lady was like go leave and then like literally went and like opened and like jimmy Iveen was like i think it's a hit it's global <laughs> and then um rooney got a chance to make a, to put a second record out but anyway so like yeah like i think you know there's a pressure like i felt definitely a pressure just to try to deliver a second record that was like solid and I really do look in hindsight, the second, that calling the world record got better because I kept writing. And like, and, and Jason was like, like everyone around me was like, dude, I, man, you like, you know, they could see that I was like, you know, getting like tired. And I was like starting to like look like my mind started to like wander into other areas. They're like, should you just be writing right now? <laughs> so like, Anyway, so it was nice, and again, like, like this is not a question you ask, but like, I think having like a, a family or a brother who's been through it too is cool because like I can vent to like people and like they get it, and that's really great. Like, if I didn't have a family that didn't understand it, it would be really hard, right? Like, what advice can you get? You get like the same very general broad advice: just keep working hard, and, right? You know what I mean? So, but I. I really felt a lot of like, I've got to do this. I've got to deliver. Anytime anyone said I couldn't, I really want to try harder. Like if Jimmy was like, you got to co-write. I was just like, no, I'm going to write this song. Like I really wanted to try anyway. So I'm, I'm really happy because that second record had the songs actually were bigger technically than the first record songs. We had more hits on that second record than we did the first record. And we spent a lot of the cycle overseas, which was a goal to go to like, germany and a lot more time in england and france and like italy and it was so cool to go there and play your songs for like all these europeans and like it felt so good that they were like into this music anyway so that's yeah like i'll say this like i definitely loved i at, even when we got signed to geffen i like i always wanted to keep my hands like on the project right like i didn't want anyone running the socials running the website like, I always felt like Rooney's got, like, I, I would, like, be actively involved in writing the treatments for the videos or, pick, you know, working with the directors. And, like, I think it was just an interest to keep the Rooney project in a certain, like, zone. Like, keep the identity intact. And I, I like, it's all part of the whole thing. Like, every little piece of it is the thing. Like, everything. And I think that, like, I love... Like anything independent is amazing when you can go direct to people right. and give them something like directly. Like when you can cut out everything in between and go right to people, like that is the best thing ever. And I think that like today's tools have allowed us that. And I feel excited because I've, I feel like I've been independently minded within the major label structure. And now I feel like I could kind of run wild within sort of a new climate today with all these great amazing tools and people that want it like that now now it's just how do you make it like a business too which is the real kind of that's the that's the puzzle for everybody you know how do you reach people but anyway i'm i'm but to answer your question i am very excited about doing it direct to fan because it's like what i really like 
I like that. Do you feel like, this might be like a, a little bit of a non sequitur, but it, you sort of made me think about, I mean, do you feel like what you're saying about the executive wanting to keep his job and sort of your creative process, it seems like there's so much like nostalgia now. It seems like everything's like a reboot. It's like, I'm like, what's going on? It's like, there's like a new like full house coming out or yeah. like every movie's like something yeah. that's already been done. I mean, do you feel like people are sort of scared to take chances, especially like on that scale? Because it seems like they're always just trying to do stuff that worked in the past. It seems like yeah. there aren't a lot of new ideas coming out in totally. that world. I think absolutely. Like you, your feeling about that is completely spot on. I think that like if you look at a lot of the big studio films, they're all sort of comic book stuff or things that have already proven themselves, right? And then other, if you bring back a show, it's already proven itself. So like if you bring that into your board meeting and say like, got an idea, let's do this. Like it can have more momentum because it already's had a life of success. If you were to pitch a movie that totally failed, you'd probably have a hard time getting everyone to get behind it. Right. So, like, it's all about, like, fundability. Like, is something fundable? Right? So, like, how is the insurance... Like, it's a, there's a greater chance of success if people already have a built-in idea of it already. You're already aware of it. It's already been out there. So, like, it's going to be easier to market it. More people are going to pick up the story. There's already a story attached to it. So, yeah, absolutely. There's definitely, like, a... F- there's definitely things are getting watered down creatively from the top from the top of the top because of a fear of failing and losing your job and not being and and yeah like it's it's hard to make every company's feeling the the pinch right now. I mean like like a lot of companies are feeling it. If you're a tech company, you're probably super excited because like it's you you people need technology like you have you have a place. But like if you're entertainment like you can't like you rolling the dice really every time even big movies roll the dice too but you just want to have greater chances of success so you mitigate it's like you know risk mitigation right right so it's like you lower the chances of failure by having something that's already had a history of proven success so that's really what it is that makes sense but i just don't understand like you know how when you see a movie and it's like you're like oh this movie was so bad yeah i don't understand how that like i understand records i'm like "Eh, i didn't like that but i'm like people put millions of dollars into this like there's like that's exactly why it happened yeah yeah because i mean i'm friends with directors that are have made recently they've been they've been hired to make a movie that's like two like 180 million dollar franchise film and they're like dude it's so I have nothing to do. Like I'm literally like, I didn't get to hire anyone on my crew because they only use these DPs and this editor. And like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's what it is. Like, of course there's no voice you have. It's, it's, there's a, there's a boardroom of non filmmakers that are calling the shots sort of. Right. So yeah, like you can make bad movies like that. And every now and then, like I'm looking at Netflix and Amazon, right? Everyone's like, Oh, like, Oh, it's awesome. But like it's awesome because they're not taking the wheel and claiming to, to know, hey, we can make we're gonna make this show. Like they're allowing creative people who are really good to just do their thing and they're literally hands off. And that's allowing for really interesting stuff to happen. Right. So that's that's what's cool about. It. And I think it's gonna start to have an effect reverse on the other companies. But I think the independent like I've learned I've gotten closer to the independent film world through making a movie. And like I think there's a lot of of what you're talking about more of a voice within that community. Like if you're, if you know, if people are looking for movies where people were not in the background, lurking in the background, like with this, you know, like calling, Hey, we got to use this actress. Cause she's like big, 
my daughter loves this girl. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you don't have those types of movies, you're probably going to have more movies that have more of like a creative voice. And that's mostly in the independent film world where you're having things that are self-funded or funded through friends or funded through like interesting ways of raising money. No distributor yet. Gotta, you know what I mean? Like, right. So it's cool. But like, yeah, unfortunately, studios or bigger companies are taking less chances because it's hard. You know, it's like there's a lot. It's hard for them to make money. I'm sure they would sit here and be like, look, man, our sales are down. Da, 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 da. Like we got to. So like everyone's got their reasoning, but it's it's unfortunate because you're just not seeing big companies making quality things anymore. Well, it seems like it's kind of the same in pop music. It seems like there's like five people writing like yeah. every big song. It's so I think about it like if you look at f- the food industry, like food, when you when you try to feed a lot of people at one time, you have to like the, the pro- it's more processed to make more of it, right? Like the industrial, like things that have become commercial are mass produced and you cannot maintain quality through mass production. It just gets, you have to factory do it, right? So like, that's like, I think like the movie industry too. Like if you're doing something that's like mass appealing to like many countries and many, all at one time, things are just going to get like, the quality will go down. You know what I mean? You see it in a lot of things. Anyway. Um, No, that's a really good answer. Speaking of sort of technology, I was reading in your bio, you created an app, a music app or something as well. Yeah, which is now back on the App Store. Okay. Which is exciting. But it was only... It was did a it go on hiatus? Yeah, it did. <laughs> the app took a hiatus. It wasn't, it wasn't really up and running. I mean, look, I think... I'll tell you the story of the app. I, I've always... There's something really important about connecting with people. And I think, you know, candidates go on the road because they're connecting with people. And there's always, like, shots of people, like, shaking hands and smiling, like... You're connecting with people. And like, I definitely, I've, I like to stay after the show. Like if you came to a Rooney show, you'd see me outside saying goodbye to the last fan and then going to bed. Right. Cause I like to, I want to meet everybody who's waiting because I appreciate them coming to the show and like taking a shirt home and like being supportive of this, of Rooney or like any of these projects. So like, I think it's important to connect and like, I want to connect. I want to know who likes this music in like in this town in omaha or in you know in des moines so i felt like social media has a layer of maybe you're not talking to these artists right like so if you tweet chances are you're talking to like the rock's social media team right like because i tweet the rock all the time i'm sure we all do (laughs) i I tweet Dwayne pretty much i'm the guy blowing up his twitter feed But like, you know, it's not, not everyone is that way, but like not everyone has the time to like use social media all the time, but it's so important. So you have a lot of these like other people are the voice. I've, I've gone to dinner with people who work at social media companies and are like, yeah, I'm the voice of TI. And I'm like, oh, weird. I'm sitting with dinner with the voice of TI, <laughs> this girl. So I was like, look, I, I want to like be able to talk to the, I, what if I could like talk to fans when I'm not with them? So I want to make this app where I can leave messages for people through like short audio messages and you can share other things. I can record a little ditty. I have an idea for a song or I've written songs with, with people over the app as well. But basically it's called 22 and it's like an audio sharing app of short messages. And you can also put them within Facebook and Twitter. You can like tweet out your tweet as you would a tweet, but it would also have like a little like link to an audio clip. 
so you can add a layer of like personality but i was like so in the app like it's because of smartphones now you can like it's it's this i thought it would be a great time to to try this so i teamed up with i met these two developers because i really do like the tech space and i was working as an advisor to two different music companies and then through those companies i met two developers who were like cornell young cornell graduates who were like awesome smart people and we sat down together and talked a lot about certain concepts that might be interesting to approach together and i just sort of pitched this idea of like well i'd love to be, like what if we could build something in a smartphone where we can talk to fans and they can leave messages back we build a thread and you can just sort of listen to this ongoing thread like a podcast but in more real time so we built 22 and it was an it's an ios only app and and then i like tried to pitch it to like a lot of bands which was a really interesting process because it was like weird to be a salesman kind of thing like right. hey how are you like check it out like no just okay, good question you push right here <laughs> great 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 that's a great idea <laughs> but like you need users to like to test it like so there's a sort of a proof of concept thing but we were like we just built it we were self-funded we didn't have to raise any money um the dudes moved out to the west coast to be closer to where i was and then we built we built the app and it's like basic, a basic use. Like you can use it like I just described it. Is it perfect? No. You might open it and go, what do I do with this? But like the idea is like you can discover artists on there and talk to them. So with this Rooney reboot, like I want to use, I'd love to use 22 now and actually see how it works and like see if it was, if, you know, we were onto something. But so we relaunch on the app store and we're going to start to use it in the campaign. But we'll start oh, nice. doing like album previews for the songs you know, through 22 and stuff like that. But you can download, it's just 22, like you just type 2-2 in your search and then it just, you. it's a Facebook login, it's really simple and you can just start listening to people or like talking and you could even have one. No way. You could have an account I'm for the podcast. Yeah? Yeah, of we course. We should, we're so bad at doing it. Well, you can take questions like Q&A from fans who are listening. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, do you like sort of doing all this? I mean, like obviously Rooney, obviously you've like the app, sort of like all the other like musical projects, the acting. I mean, do you like sort of mixing it up as far as when yeah. it comes to your creator pursuits? Totally, I love it because I think it's all part of the same thing. Like I think it's inventing. I, 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 I sometimes write with this songwriter named Jeff Barry, who was a Brill Building songwriter, who wrote like "Be My Baby" and "Leader of the Pack," and he's like, I'm like, I love all the Brill Building writers. And I randomly met Jeff Barry and we started co-writing stuff together. And he's like, he's an, he's a, he's, he's awesome. He's a young minded guy who's a storyteller. And I've learned a lot about his process, but, um, I was literally going somewhere with this. Wait, what did you, what was I was like a lot of creative projects. You like, Oh yeah. Jeff said, he's like, it's not songwriting. It's inventing. Like, uh, he's like, I think of myself as an inventor. And like, I definitely like, I, I love like that idea is is a wonderful idea because it is inventing like it's you know like people have ideas you know what I mean and it's great when you can run with them and I think that like to me it's all coming from the same place it's like I'm motivated to invent create something a song is an invention um and I think that like I'm just really interested in all of these things so like I find them I want to be able to have time to do them and pursue these fun these creative projects because it's it's being creative it's trying to take something from nothing and make it make it happen and and even when you bring something to people that's creative you know like the way you bring your record to people is a creative process and it def it completes the thought to me 
of the album. You know, nowadays the the whole campaign is a is a creative process because there's no like label in the background. It's just like yeah, we're gonna do this, that, and street date. And so like it's just part of part of all the same kind of exciting stuff that I like. But like, what sort of inspires you to kind of get up in the morning and do that stuff? To do all these things? Yeah, I just feel like, because you can also be like, oh, it's the same 12 notes, like changing it, (laughs) or like writing, just rearranging the same words. Like, what kind of gives you that sort of that drive? Um, Aside from like projecting a lot of stuff onto you. No, 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 it's cool. No, it's it's, it's good to think about it. I mean, I think, um, I just feel like um, time is limited. And I just want to like do all the things I want to do while I'm like alive. Like I really, I just, I mean, yeah, like I feel like time is just like, there's a clock running and like, I just want to work. I just want to be active and anytime I just really don't like to not work. I really feel like I'm unproductive. I hate feeling unproductive. And there's, there's like a time to drink Mai Tais on the beach and sit (laughs) in like a condo in Kauai when you're like 80 years old or whatever your life becomes. Right. Like there will be a time and that's like all good. But while we're here and while we're alive, I mean, look, there are people who are, there are people who can't, there are people who aren't fortunate enough to have certain things, the access to things or like they can't go make a record or they can't, they can't talk. They can't hear anything. They can't, they're physically, they're physical you know, disabilities that prevent them from being able to pursue things. And I really do believe like we're really lucky to have, to be able to be even just breathe and stand up right now. So like, let's use that for something good. Yeah. Um, last thing really, I wanted you to talk about the studio really quick. Yeah. How did that sort of come about? Cause you were showing us pictures. It looks like paradise oh, yeah, yeah, sort of. Like on loop we, right yeah. We're, we're doing a slideshow right now. Did you see right the now. studio? so the studio beautiful landscaping by the way thank you it's like there's a lot of fruit trees back there (laughs) it's really i mean it's like uh so in la i um because it leads back to the first thing we you know we sort of talked about which is like i i write songs by recording them as i write them and kind of build up the song as i go so like you need a place to work to do that and I started by using, you know, like, it was fun to, like, it was a four-track tape recorder. Like, it literally was that. It was cool to have it. It was the limits of, the limits were cool. Like, you could screw around in ways that you probably can't with even, like, all the things we have today. So then I got a laptop. Well, then I got, like, a, a multi-track digital thing with, like, a little cable that you can burn CDs. And that was, like, the next step up. It was awesome. It takes I could take CDs to school and play my songs, friend, like, play my friend's songs. Um... And then I got a laptop and started using Logic, and then I started using GarageBand, um, and just kept getting more equipment. But eventually, I was I I felt like it was time, and it was like the right time to look to maybe get a house in Los Angeles, and um, I wanted to find a place that had like a back space to make a music space, like that was separate from the house. And, um, this place had that. And the first thing I did right away was I built an ISO booth so that I could put loud instruments into it. And the rest of it was like totally open. Like it was like the worst for like sound isolation. Like literally the garage doors were like, there was air and spiders coming through and like rain. (laughs) And like my neighbors probably weren't that happy with me because I play music really loud in my studio. 
And then like I got more equipment and I was like, I want like I was always heard stories about artists who got signed and then use their money to go buy equipment and make a studio. And I was always so like jealous of that idea because I was like, that's such a great idea. Like, of course you should do that. Right. Like, cause you can't just rely on people to give you money to make a record. Like that's not going to happen. So I used, so basically I, once having this space, I thought it was time to maybe like get more stuff. And then you really do, there's a point of no return where when you cross that line, you've like, you fully now have like enough stuff where you're like a studio. So then Eureka, the, the last Rooney record was made in this, basically like a garage with an ISO booth. So every, you know, if you're tracking drums, everyone's wearing headphones and then you pull the headphones off and then listen back to it, that kind of thing. So, but the room sounded great. Like the drums sounded awesome. And that's so hard to have because like you could build a studio and like do all the cool little panels and you're like, wow, this is a great studio, but it could sound awful. And this room just sounded good. So I was like, ooh, like maybe we can break ground and build another room here. So I met with different contractors and it was really expensive. And I finally met this one contractor that was like, really like the price was so right. It was like, we got to do this, but he didn't know anything about isolation. So I started researching how to isolate things and finding all the materials we could use for it. And then he would just say, where do you want stuff? And we'll do it. And he was really excited to use these new materials as well. So we built this ISO booth in front of the, we broke the driveway out and poured a slab and built up a control room as big as we could go. And then um, after that happened, it was like, now we've really crossed the line. And then it was like, what if we could isolate the rest of the studio? And there was a little bit more space in the back and any land you can use, like build something, right? So like, then we built another live room with, if the, the goal is to have a bathroom. That was the goal because no, seriously, because you, if, if I wanted other artists, I wanted to like produce and write for people and have them work there. And I didn't want them to go into the main house all the time because it wasn't that convenient. So it was like, how do we build a bathroom here? And that was like a whole other, that like opened up a can of worms. But in doing that, it was like, now we've like, now we're going to have another room here. So I just kept kind of building it out like, you know, a couple years ago by and then I built something new. I custom wired it and just wanted to make it a really great studio. And I think at that point it was like, oh, this could be a really great place for other artists. So a producer friend of mine was like, look, if you really want to rent this other artist, you need a console because every every producer like wants a console. So Jason, my brother Jason loves equipment and like always is like looking at gear and sent, he sent me this this Vintage King this website link to this like Quad A Pacifica 24 channel Quad A Pacifica console, which was like the Steely Dan console was like a Quad A console. And it was Ryan Adams was selling it through Vintage King. And so I was like, oh, like maybe we'll buy it together. And then Jason like didn't go in on it with me. So I was on the hook. And it was a really good deal, though. I had like someone check it out. It checked out great. We picked we picked it up um, and moved it to Beechwood. Beechwood Park is the name of the studio, and it like now has a home there. And like it really opened up the studio to other world. But like, you know, I've like really invested in the studio to make it a place for artists, make it a great place for artists. But now it's become a destination studio. So like now I don't live in the house anymore, and I've it's fully committed just to like live work. So it's really cool. Like it's kind of taken on a word of mouth life. Like 
we don't really market it at all and we've had some really great artists make records there recently it's really cool who they, they live there they work there and they keep coming back and we had tears for fears there no way yeah yeah, yeah. But that's the one thing I, that's the one artist i can say <laughs> yeah that i can i want to name drop just because it's i was like oh my goodness like tears for fears is coming here would you have crazy. to like stop it like, oh, i forgot something i just i wanted in. to but i felt like i'd be so creepy if i just like showed up like hey nice to meet you guys <laughs> like i was only i was there setting i wanted to make sure everything was going to run smoothly so i got a new converter for them but um that was all and i met one of the dudes in the band but but uh yeah that was really cool anyway so it's it's taken on a great kind of life so it's beechwoodparkrecording.com is a website and it's a really artist-friendly place. It's really kind of peaceful back there. You're alone. You can walk everywhere because you can. It's enlarged. You can walk like all over LA in that area. It's all walking friendly, which is totally not LA. Right, right. So you don't even need to rent a car. You can just come straight there. Um, anyway, so I'm super. I'm really excited about. It. But now I book. I just book it for myself now. I have to like book it. <laughs> a reserve time. Yeah. To work there, and like, the more it gets booked, like the less I can go in there. But it's it's, it's a good problem you know, to have that. So you guys planning on spending a lot of time on the road this year, I guess? I'd like to. I mean, I think with, you know, like I really do feel excited and active with Rooney and I want to go tour. Um, there's a show in, in New York at Williamsburg Music Hall on the 19th of May. Album comes out May 6th. Um, LA show on May 6th, which will be a first. It's a, it's a Terragram Ballroom, downtown LA. Um, there's like two shows, Santa Cruz, Santa, Santa Cruz, San Francisco leading up to album release, uh, four, five, six. And then, um, in New York, there's, there's a few East coast shows as well. So, um, but we're, it's one step at a time. Like, I think like, I just, I want to play, you know, if there's a quote that I'd like to say actually that Freddie, I heard in Freddie Mercury interview, he said, I'll keep making music as long as people want to hear it. And I always like, I like, there have been times I've played a show and it's like not a great looking room and I'm like so mad. I feel so like bad and I'm like, damn, like people just, they don't care. <laughs> they don't want to see it anymore. And like that hurt. It makes me like feel like sad, right? Cause you want people, you feel like, do people even want, you know, the show? But like, I just, you know, as long as there's a demand or people want to come out, like it's, I'll keep, I want to keep playing. So as long as we can like draw a crowd and like afford to put on a show, it's good to play it. But we're going to take it one step at a time. I'll be at South by Southwest on the 16th of March, the Today Show um, on April 14th. So yeah, there's like stuff coming up, but I'd love to be, you know, if there's a tour to have to have happen at some point this year, I want to do it. And I want to get back in the studio. I've, I've kind of started already writing kind of new songs for the record. So I'd love to be consistent. I think with it was hard with major labels to be consistent because you have to always answer, you know, there's so many steps. But I think now this is the time to be consistent, you know, with with what happens from now on with Rooney. All right, Robert Schwartzman. Wow, that was worth that was worth listening to, I yeah. gotta say. Super nice dude. Check out yeah, check out his studio, check out his app, check out the new Rooney record, washed away when it comes out. Um, when's that come out again? It comes out May sixth. And you can check out the single My Heartbeats for you now. But yeah, super nice dude. Great musician. Cool family. Great guest. Great guest. Yes. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, if you like that episode, leave us a nice comment on iTunes. Give us a good review. You can always donate at goingofftrack.com. 
um, or just tweet at us, tell us how much you loved it. Oh, also, I'm actually on a podcast as a guest. Hey, this week. Um, probably should have said this up front too. Whatever, who cares? I'm a Put guest a on <laughs> Damien uh, from Fucked Up has a podcast called Turned Out a Punk. He said some really cool people on it. And it's basically about how you got into punk, sort of your story. And he's obsessed with Cleveland hardcore. So we talked for like an hour and a half. And it's episode 68 of Turned Out a Punk with uh, Damien from Fucked Up. It's a really cool podcast. Wow. So check that out if you want to hear me ramble about obscure bands you've never heard of from Ohio. And go buy the Not Safe to Drink. Oh, yes. And go buy the Not Safe to Drink comp with um, our song with Jamie Kilstein, me, and Brad um, called... You are how a revolution starts. You can listen to it for free. Yeah. And then you can buy the comp and write Feel it off on your taxes. Yourself. Yeah. I mean, you spend probably spend $5 on like way less important shit every day. Like mm-hmm. your fucking mocha latte or whatever. Hell yeah. Yeah. Not a diss on mocha lattes, but do you, you know, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyways, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, Robert, for coming by. And we'll be back with episode 190 something next week.